Yeah, so good to be with you again. My name is Paul. I am pastor over at Northview in Abbotsford. And uh, in order to come here today, I made sure I wore the Tri-City pastoral uniform. Um, yeah, so it just thought you guys might be a little more comfortable with me if I did that. Anyway, let's um, get into the sermon. Uh, George Mueller is a name that some of you will know. Many of you may not have heard of him. He was a pastor in Bristol, England in the 1800s, and he had a deep concern and developed a deep concern for orphans in their country because uh, the situation for orphans was dire. It was really terrible. There were 3,400 orphans in orphanages, but those orphanages were overflowing. So there was another 8,000 children under the age of eight being held in prisons, because that was their answer. They were like, where are these kids going to be cared for? They've got to go somewhere. Somebody's got to feed them and whatever. The only way that they could come up with at that time was to put them in prisons. And George thought that is unacceptable. So he decided to do something about it. And he prayed. And as he prayed, the Lord kept giving him the mission and what he needed to do. And by the time he was done, he had built five large orphan houses and that through the rest of his ministry years housed over 10,000 orphans whose daily needs were met through prayer. So their daily needs, their food, their water, their clothing, the shelter, everything, the money they needed was met through prayer. One example is one day all the kids in the one house, the first house that he had built, there were 300 kids. And every day there was this big, at the bottom floor is a mess hall, and everybody would come down for breakfast. And they came down, there was no food in the house. There was no food, and he had no money to go and buy food either. So as he gets down there, and the kids are there, and he talks to the lady who had been working with him, and she's like, I don't know what we're going to do. And he goes, okay, well, we're going to pray. So he says to the kids, kids, we're going to pray for what the Lord's going to give us to eat. And so he prays that the Lord, and he prays, Lord, thank you for what you're about to give us to eat. And uh, the, he says, amen. And within a couple of minutes, there's a knock at the door. It's the baker who says, I've been awake since 2 a.m. And I couldn't get you off of my mind. So I baked three batches and I've brought them here for you. So three batches from his bakery to bring there. From, he started baking at 2 a.m. for this orphanage. And then after he left, there's another knock at the door, and it's the milkman. The milkman says, my cart broke down. So there's no cars back then. My cart broke down, the wheel, I need to repair it, but I can't do it with all the cans of milk in there. So you guys can take the cans of milk, and then I can fix my wagon. And that morning, all 300 children were able to eat bread and drink milk. So people would say to George, George, uh, you have an extraordinary gift of faith. But he was adamant that that was not the case. He was like, no, 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 this is not some extraordinary thing that God has given me only. Instead, I am a recipient of God's ordinary grace of faith. He believed that if he loved Christ and sought his kingdom first, that God would meet his needs. And he got that from Matthew 6. Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, or Matt, in all his plaid, was not arrayed <laughs> like one of these. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So Mueller was, was right. When you look at the Bible, Mueller was right. God would meet their needs. Do you believe that? I think today's text shows us this. So the big point overall for the sermon is God's grace will always meet and sometimes exceed your needs. God's grace will always meet and sometimes exceed your needs. And through this sermon, as we go through Luke 5, verses 17 to 26, there's two uh, points that the sermon's divided up into. Uh, number one, God's ordinary grace. And the second, the reason for extraordinary gifts. So let's start going. Uh, we're going to go through uh, kind of chunk by chunk in order to get it all within the time frame we have. So uh, on the one of those days, starting verse 17, on one of those days as he was teaching, the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So as we go to different parts in the Gospels, um, you will see kind of often when it's a new section, there will be like a setting. And the Gospel writer, in this case Luke, he's setting the scene, okay? So Jesus has been preaching. You guys have been going through Luke for a few weeks already. Jesus has been preaching and teaching, healing people. The crowds are coming. And his fame is spreading and all the religious leaders are starting to know. And they're coming all the way up, even from Jerusalem to Galilee where he is teaching. And you think, the, and of course these religious leaders are coming. They're concerned because if you hear that somebody is acting like a prophet, you want to know he's teaching the right things, number one. And number two, if he's claiming to be able to heal and things like that, you want to verify that this is real. So they're there making sure that this is true. And this isn't something that happens every day either. I think a lot of us, when we go to the scriptures, we look at the ancient times, we look at the times of Jesus and, uh, or even the apostles, and we think that miraculous healings should be a normal thing. But they never have been. It was very extraordinary that Jesus could do what he was doing. This is why so many people were following him. You might imagine today if somebody went into a hospital and started praying for people and all of these people started running out of the hospital praising God because they had been healed, everybody would notice, right? The news cameras would be there. You'd hear politicians talking about this and you'd whatever, right? Like everybody would be interested in what's going on there. And that's exactly what's happening in Jesus's ministry. Everybody wants to see it. So verse 18, and behold, some men were bringing a man, or bringing on a bed, a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and to lay him before Jesus. 
But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Luke has a lot of action verbs in here that are showing the perseverance of these men, how determined they were to bring their friend before Jesus. And these crowds weren't going to stop them. The perseverance would go despite the crowds. So last week, last weekend, uh, BC Lions had a home game, and my nephews, who are in their 20s, had tickets, and they had an extra ticket. And they called my son, who's 10, and they said, hey, Toby, do you want to go to the game with us tonight? And Toby, I mean, his older cousin's call, it's like emoji heart eyes ah, off his face, right? He's so excited to go with his cousins. Of course he would want to go. And so he went to the game, and the game was going on, and of course, with four and a half minutes left, the Lions are way down, and he leans over to my nephews and says, we should probably leave to beat the crowds. <laughs> and they kind of chuckle, no, Toby, not, not quite yet. We want to, it's possible, still possible, that they could come back. And sure enough, next four and a half minutes... It's wild. There's over 25 points scored between the two teams. A last-second touchdown that has to go to review because of the... Because if... Did he get the two-point convert or not? There was like a centimeter. And anyway, the crowd's going crazy, and everybody's cheering. And my son leans over to my nephews again and says, my dad totally would have left. Yeah, I don't necessarily like persevering through crowds all the time. But the men in this story were not going to worry about the traffic getting out of the downtown core. That wasn't going pro- to stop them from going to see Jesus and taking their friend to see him. They already had faith in who Jesus was. Verse 20, and when he, being Jesus, saw their faith, he said, man... Your sins are forgiven you. And that should cause you to kind of go, okay. It's an odd reaction to having a paralyzed guy being laid down in front of you, Jesus. Why are you saying your sins are forgiven? We see this, we think, Jesus, like the guy's paralyzed. He's come there. He's not coming to hear about his sins. He's coming there to be healed. Jesus, just, just do what he wants you to do. But there's two reasons that Jesus would say this, and these, I think, show what Mueller meant by ordinary grace, okay? These two things, I think, are a part of what we can expect in ordinary grace. Number one, Jesus knows the man's need. Jesus knows the man's need. Jesus knows that this man's heart, even though he's suffering, there's no denying the suffering that this man has had, is having, has experienced in his life, the things that he hasn't been able to do because of the state he's in. No denying that. But Jesus knew that his greatest need was the forgiveness of his sins. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our hearts need help first. Psalm 51, even David writes that we are conceived in sin. We're sinful from our mother's womb. 
friends, no matter where we live or what, like what age we live in or where we live or what we look like or what our background is, uh, no matter what our external circumstances are, our internal circumstances are the same. And that is that we're broken by sin. And we need to be forgiven. And God in his grace tells us in his word that when we put our faith in Christ, our sins will be forgiven. Acts chapter 10, verse 43, Peter, speaking in Cornelius' house, he's telling them about the gospel, telling them about who Jesus is, and he says, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is amazing news, friends. For those of us, especially if you go back then where Peter's speaking, speaking to Gentile, a Gentile household at the time. Amazing news. God is bringing forgiveness to all people through Christ. The second thing Jesus is doing when he says this is he is affirming who he is and what his mission is. So what has he come to do? Has he come to primarily bring healing to people? Uh, there's a story in, um, in Acts where the apostles go by the pool of Siloam and there's a guy who's been paralyzed his whole life waiting for people to um, heal him. And the, the apostles pray for him and he's healed. Jesus surely would have walked past them or walked past him during his life. Jesus, Jesus didn't, in other words, all I'm trying to say is Jesus didn't heal everybody that he came across. But he did heal many. And this man is put in front of him. And his, the fact is that when he comes, his, his mission is not just to heal people. His mission is to affirm who he is and to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God has arrived. Back in chapter 4, he quotes Isaiah. And he says this from Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So all of this, all of this language about what he's doing is that he is coming to the people of Israel and he is telling them God's kingdom has come. The new creation is beginning in me. Your sins will be forgiven. You will be freed from the bondage of sins. He's the Messiah. He is the Messiah. When we put our faith in him, we have these ordinary graces that are given to us. And this ordinary doesn't mean uh, bland or plain. Like this is something that just means can be expected. We can expect that he will forgive our sins and that he will fully reveal himself to us, telling us who he is, what his nature is. And in faith, we must believe it. So, do you think that God is meeting your needs? 
If you don't think he is, the question you need to ask yourself is, who gets to determine my needs? Who gets to determine our needs? Yes, there's lots of things we want. A materialistic world that we live in, especially in North America, there's a lot of things that we want. And we can be like, oh, I need that because then I can get my homework done quicker. Or, oh, I need that because then I'll be able to get to work on time. Whatever it is, there's a lot of things that would help our lives become more easy, uh, more comfortable. But are these needs? What are the necessities of life? Johnny Erickson Tata is a Christian speaker and author with a massive gospel ministry. And she's paralyzed, like this guy in the story. She's paralyzed from the neck down. As a teenager, she had a diving accident. She was an avid swimmer, had an accident. As she was diving into the pool, severed her spinal cord. And since she was 17, has not been able to move neck down. And here's what she says about our needs. Only God is capable of telling us what our rights and needs are. You have to surrender that right to him. So God is the one who knows what our needs are. He knows exactly what you need to get through every day. So the fact that you, you need your heart to keep beating to get through a day. You need your lungs to keep moving to get through a day. You need water. You need clothing. You need shelter. And every one of us in this room has these things. And they're all by God's grace. He knows our needs. So have you given him the right to determine what your needs are? Have you surrendered that over to him? And if not, why not? Who's wiser? Who is wiser? You or Christ? He will meet your needs, and he will sometimes exceed them for his own reasons, as we're about to see in the next verses. So point two, the reason for extraordinary gifts. Verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, because we know the end of the story, and we've been through these gospels before, we often will throw the Pharisees under the bus right away and just say, what are these guys? They doubt Jesus. How dare they doubt Jesus? But at this time, this is the first time they enter the story in Luke. So Jesus' fame has spread. They've heard about him. They're doing their job, actually. They're diligently, they care about doctrine. They care about people who are false teachers, and they want to point them out. So they make their way to go and listen to Jesus, to see what he's doing, to see if what is being said is true, and to make sure that he is sticking with the truth. So verse 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise and walk? 
So put yourself in that house where Jesus is sitting and teaching and there's this crowd around and you're part of the crowd and you've seen these events. You've, seen, you've heard him teaching and you've been amazed at what he's saying and then all of a sudden the roof opens up and a guy comes through the roof and is laid in front of him and like, what, what's going on? And then the Pharisees, you notice they're mumbling and talking and then Jesus starts challenging them. Like, why are you talking under your breath? Why are you mumbling about this questioning in your hearts? And you're like, what's Jesus going to do now? And he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home Glorifying God, and amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Yeah. Imagine being there and seeing that and seeing this guy just, who had to be let down by his friends and the perseverance of them and all of that, and then you see all of a sudden the guy can get up and walk out and take his mat and skip and run and sing and be with joy all his way home, praising God. The question for you, with this gift that Jesus gave him, as extraordinary as it was, did Jesus have to do that? No. Nowhere in God's word are we promised Freedom from physical pain, physical maladies in our life. Nowhere. Jesus did not have to do this. He would not have been going against any of his promises, any of God's promises, if he wouldn't have healed this man in the moment. But what was his reason? His reason was that we may know, we being the whole crowd, that was there that day, the Pharisees that were there that day, and all the subsequent generations that would hear this story and read God's word, all of us may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He gave this visible sign to prove what was an invisible reality, that this man's sins were forgiven and that Jesus has the authority to do it. This phrase here, the Son of Man, is important. It's Jesus' favorite term to speak of himself that he quotes from Daniel chapter 7, which reads this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus, by calling himself the son of man, is saying, this is me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who has come to have an everlasting kingdom and the kingdom is inaugurated. The kingdom's here. Jesus is making it crystal 
clear. He is God in the flesh, the God-man. And how does he do it? Through his teaching and through his miracles, because Jesus' primary reason for using extraordinary miracles is to affirm his divinity. So now, the reason for Jesus' miracles can be debated kind of in Christian circles, depending what kind of stuff you like to read and listen to, particularly if you like the preachers that you see on TV. They will like to tell you that Jesus does miracles to show that, you know what, if you have enough faith, if you produce enough faith out of yourself, if you speak the right words, Jesus has to fulfill it. If you have enough faith, Jesus will heal you. If you have enough faith, Jesus will give you money. If you have enough faith, Jesus will bring you a spouse. These are lies. Prosperity theology is a lie that distorts God's words the same way Satan distorted God's words in the garden. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't care and Jesus doesn't care about your suffering. He does. He does care about your suffering. But it's not the amount of faith that you produce. It's who you have your faith in that matters. Because your greatness of your faith is determined by the greatness of the one that your faith is in. So look at George Mueller, for instance, who who I spoke about earlier. George Mueller's faith, none of us would deny his faith was great. To be able to pray like that and believe that God is going to provide the needs that morning for these children in that way, I mean, a lot of us, I think, would have panicked, right? And so we look, but it wasn't, but George Mueller's faith didn't save him from suffering. He suffered greatly. His, he, he, a lot of people don't know this, but um, he, he witnessed the illness and the deaths of his first wife, Mary, his second wife, Susanna, and all four of his children, the last of which died three years before he died. And yet in the midst of his concern, his prayers for Mary on her deathbed, he wrote, I am in myself a poor, worthless sinner. But I have been saved by the blood of Christ, and I do not live in sin. I walk uprightly before God. Therefore, if it is really good for me, my darling wife will be raised up again, sick as she is. God will restore her. But if she is not restored again, then it would not be a good thing for me. And so my heart was at rest. I was satisfied with God and all, his, and all this springs, as I have often said before, from taking God at his word, believing what he says. And that's so true. We need to take God at his word, believe what he says. He will meet our needs and sometimes exceed them. And we have, all the, we have many promises in God's word to believe in and to look at and to know that he will fulfill because he has promised he will. And yet sometimes, and I know there's people, I know that there's people here that are suffering. Even in a room of only about 110 people, 
Yes, there's going to be people in this room that are suffering. And God does care about your suffering. He does hear your cries. And he does want you to keep going to him and keep praying and to keep asking. Yet in the midst of it, as you're doing that, it can feel like he's not meeting your needs. But can I encourage you with some words? Just three things to encourage you. Number one, Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that we have a great high priest in Jesus Christ who has known every temptation that we face and who has suffered just like we do. He is not some far-off God who just created everything and says, oh, peace be with you and go on your way. No, he indeed, he cares for us. So much that he came and he lived a life among dung-filled streets, having to endure sinfulness being sent at him from all angles, eventually suffering to a point of death on a cross. And why? Because of his great love for you. Second thing, remind yourselves of all that God has done for you. Think of the many ways that God has met you in his grace. In forgiving your sins. In promising you that he will never leave you nor forsake you. In hearing your prayers. In keeping your heart beating. In keeping your lungs breathing. In providing you with so many of and all of your daily needs and beyond. Remember those things. Number three, keep going to him. If you're suffering from illness, keep going to him. Keep asking for healing. If you're suffering from a depression, keep going to him. Keep asking him for joy and for the ability to come out of that. If you're suffering financially, if you're suffering relationally, if you, if you want that spouse, keep going to him and asking him and pleading with him. He wants you to keep knocking on his door and saying, come to me, ask me, ask me. Keep going to him. He, he, often he allows us to go through suffering so that we keep going to him. Keep persevering the way that these friends of this paralyzed man did and keep going to him and then as he blesses you, as you get and notice all of the graces that he has blessed you with in, in your life, regardless if he gives you the extraordinary things that you're asking for or not, praise him. Praise him. When you leave here today, praise him for the forgiveness you've received, the gifts he's given you, and overall just for his grace. I'm going to close with these words from an old hymn. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. Let me pray for us. Father, you are amazing, holy, and awesome. And gracious, and loving, and merciful. 
And we realize, Lord, the wickedness of our own hearts, the sinfulness, the things that we run to instead of you. Lord, uh, things that we run to for joy and for pleasure instead of you, the, the things like money and shopping and uh, pornography, like uh, we talked about earlier in that announcement. Lord, we run to these things instead of you, looking for the peace that we need, looking for uh, comfort, and yet, Lord, we always end up empty in those. So, Lord, lead us to always run to you and to rest in your grace and to rest on your promises, knowing that you will meet our needs. And Lord, for those of us who are suffering, I pray that you would pour out even more grace, that you would give them these extraordinary gifts, that those who have been suffering so long in depression would be able to come out of that and to know your joy and peace and power once again. For those who are suffering from things like cancer and chronic pain, or maybe they're suffering from something and they don't even know what it is yet, Lord, let them know that your grace is sufficient for them. And that even if they don't receive the healing now, that in the end, when you make all things new, when your kingdom is not just inaugurated, but consummated, that they will be healed. But until then, Lord, strengthen our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.